0: The subject for the evening talk (coughs) is freedom from certainty. Sometimes when we look at the world around us and what we perceive is varying ways and degrees with human beings, expressions and forms of insecurity. And the insecurity born of countless circumstances inwardly and outwardly. And there is often within us a deeply felt human need to free ourselves from insecurity and to feel secure, secure about ourselves and particularly finding security about ourselves, through security in beliefs. And sometimes we have had uh, contact with people who have an immense degree of certitude about their beliefs and we have noticed too in our society a movement towards what is regarded as fundamentalism, this certitude in belief. and When we meet and talk with such people, we are sometimes impressed, and understandably so, with the degree of conviction that the person expresses, and perhaps we might say in the uh, common uh, religion of our culture, Christianity, that might be expressed in the, the belief in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, in the authority and legitimacy of the Bible as the revealed word of God. And in the belief which is given to that, it gives some security uh, to the individual. It seems to provide uh, a way of dealing and coping with some of the pains and the stresses, the losses and the sadnesses. It helps to take the sting out of death. And so sometimes when we are in contact with such people and that firmness of conviction and that assurance that people uh, uh, generate towards us, we wonder perhaps, you know, why why aren't we fundamentalist? (laughs) Why aren't we like this? Why aren't we so certain? Why are we, as it were, in a situation where nothing is that concrete, nothing is that absolute for us. And quite understandably, in quite a a wide range of circles, including the so-called liberal, intellectual, cerebral circles, sometimes there's quite a distinct and noticeable attraction and involvement and commitment to what we might refer to as these uh, conviction religion, the conviction of religious experiences and the adoption of the belief around the experiences. And one might say, in that, with the benefit truly that it can give to a human being, that sometimes there's just two or three central concepts upon which everything has to hang together to sustain the force, the potency, the conviction of the belief. And in the Christian tradition, we might say, if we took out the word God, if we took out the word Jesus, and we took out the Bible, and we say, okay, I'm not mentioning those three. (coughs) What would actually happen to the structure of the belief? As I see, in the response, human response to such uh, beliefs, it seems to be an extraordinary thing about life. That the truth or the untruth, the actuality or the mythology of something, in some way or other, doesn't necessarily seem to matter that much. Something can be a complete lie. A total fiction, having no truth in it. There's no such thing as an original sin, no such thing as God, no such thing as a creator, no such thing as grace or what- whatever. whole thing could be a complete fabrication of human mind with no validity to it and change life considerably and change consciousness and change heart and revolutionize the inner life yet no truth. So sometimes with what we call facts, what we call beliefs, what we call myths, in some respect the whether they're authentic or not authentic, whether they're just metaphors and figures of speech or whether there's some truth to it, reality to it, somehow doesn't matter too much. What's the impact on us? What's the consequences? What flows out of us through our myths, through our beliefs, through our perceptions, through our truth? Some years ago, oh, getting on for 20 years, I suppose now, I was a a monk, Buddhist monk in uh, India and uh, Thailand for some six years or so. And my mother, um, giving up hope of uh, seeing me, some uh, I had spent some five years in the in that period of time in the East decided to come to Thailand to visit me. And naturally enough, she was startled by what she saw. It was worse than the photographs. (laughs) And I had travelled from the monastery in southern Thailand up to Bangkok. And the teacher that I was with um, insisted that the monks who... uh, as it were, walking the way with him were barefooted, whereas the monks in the, the city in Bangkok all wore these uh, flip-flops. And when my mother saw me, and then she saw these other monks and saw me walking around, and by this time, some years gone by, barefooted, so I was quite used to it, she said, it's just typical of you, your desire to be different. And <laughs> And we had gone into a monastery. I was showing around. Some of you have visited these gaudy spectacles in Bangkok. And in one of the monasteries, there's this huge uh, concrete horizontal Buddha, more 40, 50 feet long. And I just walked out with her. And I was stopped, I'd almost say accosted, but certainly stopped by, um, it's not a reflection on America by um, uh, an American um, evangelist from one of the southern states, (laughs) who asked me what I was doing dressed up in this garb. And then he said to me that he was uh, uh, a missionary with the uh, American Armed Forces based in Taiwan, and and then he said, he said, when I was 27 years old, the Lord Jesus came into my life and saved me, boy. And I said, well, wonderful. <laughs> no objection to that, do you? And And he began to speak about how his marriage and his alcoholism had been saved through uh, the word. And I mentioned to him in the course of this uh, conversation that I, asked me what I was doing, I said I was a, a, a monk, my mother was standing beside me, was visiting, and that in the monastery, people had come into that monastery who were heroin addicts, alcoholics, terrorists, who were um, police and military, who engaged a lot of murder and killing, and countless other peoples in very distressed situations who, through the atmosphere and through the practice, had their lives transformed just as this man giving testimony that his life had been transformed through what had occurred to him. But it seemed, rather sadly I felt, very difficult for him to acknowledge this and he became rather reactive and he said, I don't believe you, boy. He said, you're the son of the devil. So on hearing this, I don't know, I might say a little equanimity, I don't know if I've still got it, but anyway, on hearing this, my mother was standing beside me, <laughs> I said, well, if I'm the son of the devil, what does it make you? <laughs> And she felt quite upset. (laughs) So sometimes with our beliefs and our experiences and our truths and our myths and whatever, one of the dangers whatever form and manifestation it might take place, it very easily, easily gives license to clinging, gives license to identification, gives license to holding on to and making something special of. And in that it's a great sadness, whatever the form of experience might be, while acknowledging our experiences, hopefully having enough freedom of heart and being to be able to acknowledge and be respectful to the experiences of others recognizing that the description of language may vary quite considerably. And as Jesus so wisely and profoundly says, you shall know by their fruits, by what's expressed in the world, and not so much really by what we claim for ourselves. In our beliefs, our myths, our truths, what we express in the world is, that is... the." Significant, not what we claim for ourselves or what our friends or admirers or fellow believers claim. So in contrast we might say to that, to coming into a situation like here where silence, uh, meditative processes and explorations are taking place, there's nothing too obvious to be able to hang one's hat on. Hopefully, there's not too much repetition of the same concept and the same idea to keep, as it were, centralizing ourselves around. And that sometimes can be, for people, quite disconcerting because one wants some sense of solidity, some sense of uh, substance and belief because it's strong with us. And sometimes when we're not actually receiving that, we feel some uncertainty and we notice the contrast of our experience in life of uncertainty and those who seem to be so certain, so convinced in contrast to ourselves. And sometimes we ask an immense amount of ourselves to be able to hang in with our uncertainty. One of our friends, Henrietta and I, very dear friend of ours in uh, Totness, has a book published with a um, beautiful title and um, some wonderful content. And it's called The Faith to Doubt. The Faith to Doubt. Just as in the outer expressions of religion and religious life, we have this mixture, we might say, of beliefs and myths and truths interweaving together. Similarly, we also, when we step back and we actually look at our life, we can look at it in this situation here, both from the standpoint of the particular. The particular meaning, what's going on in my life today? What's happening in this moment for me, in this situation of sitting and walking and the cycle? What's actually going on? So sometimes our attention, correctly and necessarily, looks specifically. Sometimes we notice with ourselves, spontaneously or intentionally, there's a kind of general overview, like I was speaking last night, where are we going? A general overview of our life. In that overview, we look to the past, we look to the present, and we look to the future, and sometimes we see, and I have not much appetite, I must say for New Age rhetoric, but sometimes we see a kind of flow going. We're in a a flow as the New Age Wallace would like to say. And this flow is taking place and it seems like you, I, we, our life is in this flow. And sometimes we notice that when we're looking at this flow, as somebody pointed out today, there's a kind of inexorable movement going on, that circumstances are going on in this flow of things in spite of what we're thinking in spite of the choices which we might prefer. And sometimes we are so spellbound by our idea, our mythology, as I sometimes say, of choice, we can only seem to be identified around the choice. And we can't see and get enough sense of space outside so to speak, outside of choice, to see the event going on in its momentum. And the power of humanity, of a, of a thoughtful human being, is to be able to say, yes, I can look at the specific, and equally I can have some sense of the overbou- overview of the flow of things. One has been, there must be many examples in your life here and now, there's been a situation in your life where your life is flowing and you know there are changes going on in your life. And those changes are significant ones. Those changes have been brought about by the mutuality of events, meaning what has happened around you, or what's happening from inside. And when one steps back at the s- to look at the situation, there is a flow and everything, all the messages, all the signals, all the intimations is, this is the way it's going. Everything tells one that. One is, and sometimes everything, the way it's going is, sometimes the movement out of the old into something different. It may be welcomed for you, or it may be very unwelcomed, but you know it's going that way, and neither heaven nor earth, meditation nor God is going to make a scrap of difference because this is how it's going. And sometimes in that movement, in that flow, the little voice pops up of self and says, Oh no. and it arises and tries to make a protest about the flow of that event. And I think therefore, when we are considering choices, which certainly have a usefulness and a validity in our life, let's not be hypnotised by them in a way which says, I can't see what the overview is, the way it's going. You're in a relationship, the relationship is ending, it's coming to an end, one or the other is moving out, all the signs and signals, everything is being communicated loudly and clearly and one knows that's the way it's going, one knows one has to adjust to a new situation, there's the flow of it. Are we going to try to stand in the river of that and stop it? So the recognition of the flow of things is part of life, part of the awareness is. Sometimes, it's right round the other way. Right round the other way, in that one senses that there is a movement and a flow in one's life. It's taken a hold of us, it's carrying us along in a particular direction. And the voice which comes up in that is still the same voice, oh no, but it's a voice of wisdom in it. And, I- and one is attempting to change the direction of one's life and stand in the current of it and move that current around. And I think for our looking into ourselves and an our understanding of ourselves to, to be able to distinguish which is which. Which is moving from A to B, not, nothing good nor bad about it, but just unfolding change and to be with that flow in a state of no resistance and to recognise the wisdom of that's the way it's going and to be with it, not fighting it, so that the voice which tries to stop the inexorable is just arising time to time. But where there is a situation where there is a flow going on and that voice is endeavouring to stop it, no matter how powerful that is, because one knows that flow is into something harmful, exploitive, destructive, painful for oneself and others alive, then let's listen to that voice. No matter how small the voice is and no matter how big the current is, let's, let's see if we can give some validity and strength to it. Let's not be afraid to take on the current. And sometimes that voice of which Socially, politically, economically, spiritually, religiously, ecologically. That voice of our brothers and sisters and our, of our world, both in this room and elsewhere, display immense courage. Courage which many of us have never been asked to display because the voice has seen the damaging current and has said No and often great personal cost. So in our specifics of being here and with our meditations and with the quietitude and the silence and looking at the particular, let's not neglect the particular for the overview. And let's not neglect the overview for the particular. Let's really look in a visionary way at our life. Sometimes because of the lack of uh, certainty, freedom from uh, certitude with our life, not only do we build up beliefs and myths in religious ways, but of course in many other ways too. And they also get revealed and shown to us in a situation like here. And one of the ways is the ideas that we have about ourselves. How have we been thinking about ourselves today? And sometimes in the thinking, what you and I do, we tend to easily isolate particular experiences, past and present. Think of you today and what any specific event or experience which has been standing out for you today. And we pick out some experience. And quite often in the picking of the experience out for us because of our brain cells, as much as anything, we want to find the cause for the experience. I want to know why I am like I am. So I look at my experience, again and again, as some kind of effect of what's happened before. And sometimes it's truly helpful in a reflective mode with another or with oneself to help find out what the conditions of the cause are, causes are for feeling like I am feeling, for experiencing like I am experiencing, for thinking, bodying like I am. But sometimes I see the effect. I've got lots of answers for the causes of why I am like I am and it's not making a scrap of difference. I've spent an immense amount of time digging up the causes, finding others who will tell me the causes, putting the whole package of cause and effect together and I'm still miserable. And I might need to have a little doubt, a little less sense of certitude about why I am like I am. Maybe all those sound reasons based in my present and in my past, near or far, maybe they are not so big as I imagine them to be those causes, because if I really have discovered causes, if I really have insight into causes, it's going to dramatically change the effect. And if I have ideas of causes, and there's no change on the effect that means me today, I can't say I've got any insight into causes. Insight into causes means liberation. It means freedom from the pain of the present. Sometimes I in the day, the sitting and the, the walking, I say, well, if I, seeing this effect, seeing how I am today, seems to rely somehow on the way that I'm interpreting things. So, sometimes one is experiencing today And as many of you will have noticed from today and from times past, certain events start taking place for you. And there's some restlessness, some agitation, some disturbance in some way. And one feels uncomfortable about it. Who wants to feel agitated, negative, hostile? One begins to feel other people I'm picking this up. I'm sending out bad vibes. No wonder that person beside me is fidgeting away, whatever, it must be my vibes, or whatever it might be. <laughs> and so in the restlessness and the movement that takes place, it's also accompanied with all manner of projections. And we classify each other We've been here two days and we think we've got pretty well everybody sassed out. (laughs) Where they're at, what they're like, what they're doing with their life, what they ought to be doing with their life. (laughs) It becomes a kind of substitute for God. We believe so much, we invest so much in the movement, in the shake-up which is going on, in which we are interpreting others, and we feel often we are being interpreted. And we begin to hate this state of mind. We've noticed it again and again and again. And it's somehow, surely, somehow or other, we are convinced that the sensation that we're experiencing, the feeling that we're experiencing, and the thought which accompanies it, is an accurate state of the experience. Understand? We actually, the sensation and the thoughts, we religiously, we believe it. This is the truth, they are judging me. And I am judging them, and it's just a reflection of my mind. What's in me is inside them, and all, all these wonderful storylines. And all of this gives food to the idea of judging and being judged. And in all of that weaving and all that, there's some unpleasant sensations. It needs for negative judging. It needs some unpleasant sensations. And We're feeling fine, well, calm, clear, comfortable, pleasant sensations. we are not being throwing out our negativities at ourselves and at each other. So something goes on with the sensations, with the, all that package that m- seems to m- seems to make us believe in the whole scenario, the whole. St- story becomes our reality so if there's a little freedom from certitude if there is a little faith to doubt which is I think is a very deeply religious faith then we might just start I- doubting the whole story We start doubting what we are believing. And perhaps we'll see where it goes. Well, we may, if we are willing to do that, to bring some doubt into the storyline into the negative judgments and projections, in this case, towards self or other. We may have to bear with a little bit more uncertainty. We may have to experience a little bit more, less conviction of our view. We may have to experience more uncomfortable sensations because we're not sure at all what on earth's going on with us, where on earth we are, what on earth we are doing, and we've got nothing nothing to take up and hold on to to give us conviction. And we hate this. <laughs> and we're saying here, this is religious. So in our not shifting our consciousness into a fixed security, a fixation of how things are, it leaves us open to this uncertainty and somewhat insecure state and feeling. Can we hang in with it? Can we find enough faith inside of us to say, let me have faith in this, I'm not going to buy into fundamentalism, I've seen the corrosiveness of it, the divisiveness of that. I'm not going to buy into being eclectic, clever, intelligent, liberal, minded in which everything is okay, just accept it. I'm just going to say none of that. I haven't got enough confidence either way in those systems. I'm going to hang in with my uncertainty. I'm not going to use my brain to get it neat and organised. I'm not going to have the answers of cause and effect and try to sort it out. I'm going to hang in with this. I'm going to be fine and sense enough freedom from certitude. And therefore, answers become less important. And I think perhaps, religious life then begins to get underway. Then it starts. Are days here together? in which, in just being here, there's tremendous renunciation, renunciation of much which is familiar and homely to you, and much renunciation takes place within the context. And since renunciation has been such a vital feature of genuine religious life, then we have to take the renunciation, I feel, to even more subtle and refined levels renunciation of lots of our ideas and standpoints and views and opinions which we have formulated about who we are and what life is. And that renunciation and renunciation keeps going on and on and on and with each renunciation that takes place, it might be, it might be the release of more uncertainty, it might be the release of more unpleasant Sensations, because the organism, with its need for order, can't make an, an earth out what the hell is going on. So it keeps releasing unpleasant sensations, because it doesn't like not having something to hold and to be fixed about. And it takes a lot of faith, religious faith, to keep with that process. And I think that is an adventure, a genuine human adventure, an adventure of consciousness, and an adventure in which we come out of the overshadowing domination of what is old into something which is of wonder and mystery. So finally, with our sitting forms and our walking forms and our meal times and the times of the uh, one-to-one meetings, small group meetings and all of that and especially the silence and the stillnesses particularly are quite wonderful supports for all of us. And each and every one of us give great support to each other and in such renunciation there's tremendous aloneness which we have to bear with in that renunciation. And we have to uh, learn and rediscover our aloneness in the silence. And it's not easy to bear with with a state of aloneness, a state of stripped-down existence, in which nobody has the answer for us. Nobody can say, this is the way that it is, except out of her or his perception. And in our silence with each other and with our stillness with each other, we pay respect to each other's aloneness. And out of that, something rather divine can emerge. because we've been willing in life to take the risk of freedom from certainty. May all beings see into life. May all beings explore the nature of things. May all beings be touched with mystery. Oh mm-hmm.